Why are they all singing hallelujah? And here we are again singing hallelujah for God is good and we praise him and we thank him. And here we are in the hallelujah chapter, Revelation chapter 19. It's all about praising the Lord our God. It's good to see you here, both members of Israel alike. We praise God for your attendance and thank you and thank you for those who are visiting us online as well. Thank you for your presence. Let's uh, go together to our great God in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise your holy and divine name and thank you so, so very much for allowing us to assemble to worship you, to worship you, O God, in spirit and in truth, bringing glory and honor to your name. Thank you, Lord God, for allowing us to use your name, to know your name, to know you. Thank you, Lord God, for this opportunity to be able to send songs of praise and hallelujahs, to be able to worship you, for you to accept our worship, to accept our praise. Thank you. Thank you for Jesus, your great son, who died that we might live, who suffered a terrible death for us, who died in our stands. Thank you. These things we ask and pray and thank you for in that wonderful, magnificent, most awesome, holy, and precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray if it be thy will. Amen. Revelation chapter 19. Why are they all singing and rejoicing? Hallelujah. 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 Well, thus far, chapter 17 has told us Reveal to us the reason that Rome would fall. And then chapter 18, it, it describes the fall of Rome. And now in chapter 19, we get around to this symbolic battle of Armageddon. I almost entitled the sermon today, The Great Disappointment. And, uh, you know, you say, well, why in the world would you entitle it The Great Disappointment? Well, because the biblical Armageddon is not what you read about and not what you see in, in the movies and it's a very different battle. We're going to see that battle. Let me just say this, if I will, if I could, for just a moment. Uh, in, in, this morning, I wrote an article about the Jezreel, the Valley of Jezreel. Uh, and so if you read that, that might help also with parts of this uh, lesson. And for time's sake, we can't deal with all that, but we definitely can deal with this this morning. So the inspired writer wants us to understand, beginning this lesson, he wants us to understand that we're talking about Jesus we're talking about the victory of the saints through Jesus. Now, maybe that doesn't sound like much to us, but remember Jesus, not long ago, has been crucified. So how in the world can a crucified man win a battle against people some 60 years later? And the reason is that Jesus is alive and well. And Jesus reigns. And Jesus has forever reigned, will continue to reign, will never cease from reigning, and is in complete and total control. And again, in Revelation, the idea is that word Nike, victory, is not that we win the victory, brethren, it's that we've already won. And so here we're reading the epilogue, if you will, the story, the, the ideas of what God's revealing to us, of things that happened to the saints of God years and years ago. The inspired writer wants us to focus on Jesus. 
Verse 11, please, in Revelation chapter 19. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat upon it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. Here's what I want to do for the next next few verses. I want to jump back in context. Revelation chapter 1, back to chapter 19, and, and we'll do that just for a moment. Go to chapter 1 for a moment. So he's called, he's faithful, and he's true. So, remember, the writer wants us to go back, to remember how this began. We're talking about Jesus. Verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. And he has made us to be a kingdom of priests to his God. And Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Chapter 3 and verse 14. There the Bible says, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, says this. So God is telling us, the author is telling us, Jesus is saying, Keep this message in perspective. Back to chapter 19, verse 12. 19 and verse 12. There the Bible says, And his eyes are as a flame of fire, and upon his head are many diadems, and he has a name written upon him which no one knows except himself. Remember the eyes? Go back to chapter 1, verse 12 through 14. Chapter 1, 12 through 14. The Bible says, And I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, And in the middle of the lampstand, one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to his feet, and girded across his breast with a golden girdle. And his head and his hair were like white wool, like snow. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. We're talking about Jesus. Jesus Christ. He who has a name that only he himself knows. Chapter 19 again. And many diadems, which tells us, reminds us that Jesus has not only been in the battle, but Jesus has reigned victorious over and over and over and over again. Verse 13. And he's clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. John chapter 1. It's interesting that God would, would use that terminology and then go right back to John who is the inspired writer of Revelation and John the inspired writer of Revelation begins John chapter 1 verse 1 speaking of the word of God who is the word of God in the beginning verse 1 was the word the word was with God and the word was God he was in the beginning with God all things came into being by him and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. Verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Again, the author, back back to Revelation please, now chapter 1, wants us to keep this in perspective. We're talking about Jesus Christ. So you know what that means? We're not talking about you know, USSR, Russia, China, the war. You know, we're not talking about America versus... We're not talking about the great tanks and the AK-47s and the... You, you see? We're talking about Jesus. 
And so what happens is we get, we get out of this context and we get into this, you know, this mystical world where we start grabbing things that aren't even there in the text. We're talking about Jesus and the victory of the Lamb and His saints. Verse 15, please, of chapter 1 and verse 16. And His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been caused to glow in a furnace and His voice was like the sound of many waters. And in His right hand, He held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in its strength. Jesus, alive and well. Look at chapter 19, please. Chapter 19, verse 14. There the Bible says, And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword, so that with it he may smite the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of lords. The army of God is ready. They're riding on white horses. The army of God is ready. God has always been ready. Satan thinks he's ready. <laughs> Chapter 16. He still, he continues to wage war and he battles against God and God's people and he loses over and over and over again. But Satan won't let up. So the dragon, the dragon, the sea beast, the earth beast, join together and they get as many people as they can together to fight against God. Chapter 16, verse 12. Just a reminder. Now the sixth angel poured out his bowl upon the great river Euphrates and its water was dried up and the way might be prepared for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for the war of the great day of God, the Almighty. And behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his garments, lest he walk about naked and men see his shame. And they gathered them together to the place which in Hebrew is called Har Megiddo. Har The ancients from the ancient times, even going back as far as uh, the time of Napoleon, Megiddo has been a place of great battlegrounds. I mean, big great battlegrounds throughout the world. And Megiddo, it stood in, if you will, this, this pass of three great, great nations, great kingdoms. And then even after that, the great kingdoms from the north, the south, and the east. In fact, when you think about the kingdoms in, in those days, you think about uh, Mesopotamia in the east and the Hittite nation in the north and the Egyptians from the south. And here's what the Egyptians believed. The Egyptians believed that To capture Megiddo is to capture a thousand towns. 
I mean, that place was so important because of its strategic location. Every empire in the Bible, in Bible times, tried to gain control of this valley. And in this land, during the symbolic, let me say that, symbolic battle. In this land, during the symbolic battle, we witnessed the complete slaughter of the beast. The false prophet and the beast, the wrath of God, has come. Remember the great wine press? Turn to chapter 19 and look at verse uh, 15. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may smite the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. The wine, the winepress mentioned in chapter 14. I want to go back to 14 again. Chapter 14, verse 19. I want to grab this. I want you to see something in this, in this chapter. Verse 19 and 20. It says, And the angel swung his sickle to the earth and gathered the clusters from the vine of the earth and threw them into the great wine press of the wrath of God. And the wine press was trodden outside the city and the blood came up from the wine press up to the, the horse's bridles for a distance of 200 miles. And so the idea is, the picture is that this, this battle, this end, this victory, the picture is that there's blood up to the horse's bridle, about four to five feet high, and about 200 miles long. It's a symbolic battle. But the point is, is that God is making it clear that the victory belongs to him. God wants us to see the picture, right? Get the picture image from God. So what is this word? So the word har in Hebrew, uh, arm or mountain, uh, if you will, the mountain of Megiddo. And really, if you look at Megiddo, you look at a map, there, there are no mountains, right? It's a valley. So, so it kind of tells us, it's letting us know this is a symbolic battle. But God is using this particular place where there's so much bloodshed in this area. But the Great Valley is a valley where chariots could travel, right? It was wide enough. It was big enough. It was just the right place. Great kings. When you read the Bible, you find great kings. Even historically, you find uh, great men like the great kings and leaders like uh, Tut the Third. You find them there in Megiddo, huge battle. Great kings in the Bible like Joshua, right? King David in Megiddo. You find Solomon, you find uh, Josiah, you find all of these strong men in this battle in Megiddo. And Megiddo was the key to control. And I want you to go back to Judges chapter 4. Judges chapter 4. It was a place of never forgotten battle. So here's what's important. When you read the book of, of, of Revelation and you hit the Armageddon, while, while today folks want to make it some futuristic battle, remember you got to have a foot in the first century. He's talking to the saints. And he's saying to the saints that we are going to reign victorious as many others have reigned victorious in this battle when they came in the name of God. That's what God is saying. He's reminding them, don't worry about it. It looks like you're losing. When you get to the, Arm, the, the battle of Armageddon, if you will, you get to Megiddo, and we win. And watch. Here's Deborah, a judge of Israel, and she is called by God. The Israelites are being oppressed tremendously, and they're crying to God for help. And there's no way they can win. Brethren, there's no way they can win. You see, that's what Satan always thinks, right? And sometimes we think that. We should never, ever think that. 
We win every single time. So Judges 4, listen to what's going on, beginning in verse 1. Then the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. And the commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Herosheth Hagoyim. And the sons of Israel cried to the Lord, for he had nine hundred iron chariots, and he oppressed the sons of Israel severely for twenty years. Nine hundred iron what's a what's a bow and arrow gonna do against an iron chariot? He had nine hundred iron chariots. He oppressed the people of Israel. They cried to God, and God sent a deliverer. That deliverer is Deborah. And Deborah comes to the scene, and she does the will of God. So Deborah does this, if you will. Verse 13. Sisera called together all his chariots, 900 iron chariots, and all the people who were with him from Herosheth Hagiim to the river Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, Arise, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Behold, the Lord has gone out before you. So Barak went down to the Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak. And Sisera alighted from his chariot and fled away on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Heroshoth Hagiam, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not even one of them was left. How is that possible? I mean, they have swords and, and arrows. and How are they going to beat 900 iron? Well, see, here's what God did. God routed them down into Megiddo. There's a river that flows. The river Kishon. And normally when you fight, in Megiddo, you never fight during the days that that river would overflow its banks. Well, here they are in the perfect season and the perfect time where the river never overflowed its banks. But God called the river Kishon to overflow its banks and that great, great man Sisera and his great, great army with 900 chariots sank right there in the field. And there was absolutely nothing they could do. They were sitting ducks. And they had to leave the chariots and flee. So they weren't equipped to fight hand-to-hand combat because they normally would fight from their chariots. So they were, they were sitting ducks. And God's people destroyed every single one of them. We would have said there's no way they could win that battle. But God said, watch how easy this is. Verse 19 of chapter 5. The Song of Deborah. The Bible says, The kings came and fought. Then fought the king of Canaan and Tanakh near the waters of Megiddo. They took no plunder and silver. The stars fought for them from heaven. From the courses they fought against Sisera. The torrent of Kishon swept them away. An ancient torrent. The torrent of Kishon. Oh, my soul, march on with strength. There was no way they could win. Megiddo. No one would forget Megiddo. 
Not with Deborah. Also, skip over to 2 Kings chapter 23. Ahab's dynasty is completely destroyed. The Megiddo. And 2 Kings 23, Josiah, a good king, a good king, a very good king of Israel, dies in Megiddo. He didn't have to die. In fact, we might even say he wasn't supposed to die. But he died. In 2 Kings chapter 23, in verse 28, the Bible says this. Now the rest of the acts of Josiah and all that he did, all that not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah. In his days, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, went up to the king of Assyria, to the river Euphrates. And King Josiah went to meet him, and Pharaoh Necho saw him and killed him at Megiddo. And his servants drove his body in a chariot from Megiddo, and brought him to Jerusalem and buried him in the, his own tomb. And then the people of the land took Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, and appointed him and made him king in place of his father. You, you might say, well, you got to know your Old Testament book, right? To understand how significantly amazing this battle was. Josiah, of all the kings, killed. Ghetto. Chapter 19 of Revelation. So the Battle of Armageddon is really not a battle at all. I mean, it, in, in reality, uh, it's, it's, it's more or less a, a slaughter. It's, it's not a battle. And I'm, I'm going to give you just kind of an idea of what, what happens. Um, so so the, the bees, the sea beast and the earth beast, the false prophet, Assemble all their people, they gather, and they're ready for the war. And then God comes on white horses with his army and clothed in white and his robe dipped in blood and he shows up. And then the angel calls to heaven and says to the birds, come on and eat. And that's the end of the battle. (laughs) Who would ever thought you could have beat God? Right? Who would ever thought that anyone could have beat God? Chapter 19, verse 19. In fact, I want to go back to verse 17, just for a moment. 1917. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in midheaven, Come, assemble for the great supper of God, in order that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves and small and great. That was a great supper because the battle ended just as quickly as it began. That's Armageddon. <laughs> we read about this, this amazing battle that happens, but there is, there is no amazing battle. It's what we would expect. There is no way, absolutely, positively, no way that Satan can ever defeat God. He tried it once. He lost. He tries it with humanity. He lost. He tried it again, and he lost. And he will forever lose. And we have to, as God's people, figure that out, remember that, remind ourselves of that, and stay faithful and true to God until the end. But it's not the end of time. It's really important. I mean, God's going to deal with Satan in the next chapter. 
is not the end of time. Okay? Now, look back at Revelation chapter uh, 14 for a moment. I'm going to grab just verse 9 and verse 11, through verse 11. I want to show you that, that it's not the end of time. Just as they were thrown in the lake of fire that, that burns with fire and brimstone, it isn't the first time God used that language. Verse 9. And another angel, a third one, followed them saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives a mark on his forehead and upon his hand, he also will drink the wine the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day and night, those who worship the beast and his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. What God's point is, Christians, don't ever give up, don't ever give in, to wickedness or evil or Satan. Stay faithful. Stay true to God because we win over and over again. We win. Right? That's the message of the Bible. And you have to get that message. And so in these days when Christians are being persecuted and struggling, they're being reminded that we win over and over and over and over again. So the two enemies of God are utterly destroyed. Rome has, it pertains to Rome. Rome has risen up against God in its own mind and the two enemies are destroyed. Verse 21. Revelation 19, verse 21. And the rest were killed with the sword which came from the mouth of him who sat upon the horse and all the birds were filled with their flesh. So you read about Armageddon. You hear about the Armageddon. And as we begin to wrap this up, the, the destruction is a picture. It's a picture of a judgment against Rome, right? And that's really important. And we've got to understand and remember that um, if you try to make this a literal battle, you're going to have problems. I mean, number one, they, they fought in the text. They fought on white horses, right? So we're talking about tanks and, and, and airplanes, right? We're, it, you cannot make it literal. It is not a literal battle. It's a battle against the forces of evil, Against the force of good, and good always wins. God always wins. Let me show you why. The other reason you can't make it some futuristic battle. Remember the context of Revelation. Chapter 1. Chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his bondservants the things which must shortly take place. And he sent and commanded it by his angel to his bondservant John who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words, the prophecy, and heeds the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Not, not, not 2,000 years away. Now, now jump all the way over to the very end of the book, chapter 22. Just to remind us, just to say, okay, how do we know it's not the end of the world? Well, look, the Bible says it's not even over yet. Look, verse 6. And he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angels to show to his bondservants the things that must shortly take place. You got to keep it in context. So, as I said, the battle of Armageddon, you might call this sermon the great disappointment because, well, everyone thinks about Armageddon. And number one, there's fear oftentimes. 
And then number two, there's this explanation of some great, amazing things that are going to happen in the future when the Bible makes it clear it's already happened. It's already done. And what was it? Rome's destruction. The great question of the Bible, I close with this question. The great question of the Bible, found not only in the book of Revelation, but found in other places, we'll read in Revelation chapter 6. Christians simply needed to know one thing. God, are we dying in vain? And the answer is no, you're not. You're not dying in vain. Stay true. Stay faithful. Revelation 6 and verse 17. The Bible says, For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? And the book of Revelation reveals to us that the only people that can ever stand are the people of God. And it may look like in history, it may look like we, we've lost, excuse me, like we've lost a battle or two. It may look like Christianity never wins. Brethren, we win every single time. You stick with God, you win. You cannot lose. That's the victory of the saints. The question I close with is this. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? So this morning we extend to you the invitation, the opportunity to come to the Lord. We extend to you the, the offer of God. If today you have not surrendered to God in the waters of baptism, we invite you to surrender to God. Today, if you're struggling in your faith, we extend the invitation to you. God is good. Brother, never forget. We win. The lesson is yours. God bless you.